Hello, everyone. Welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris of Fantasy Pros. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. And here with me now is Dwayne McFarland. He does amazing work for PFF and is an absolutely mandatory Twitter follow if you play fantasy football. You can find him on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. That's D-W-A-I-N McFarland. And be sure to check out the PFF Fantasy Podcast with Dwayne and Ian Harditz. Welcome, Dwayne. Thanks for stopping by. I appreciate you having me on, Pat. Like, this is, uh, it's awesome. Like, coming on over here with Fantasy Pros, you guys, uh, you do a lot in the industry, so I appreciate you having me on. Oh, of course, man. So, uh, yeah, we have turned the calendar page. We are now uh, recording this on Monday, August 1st. And just a few hours ago, Judge Sue Robinson handed down a six-game suspension for Deshaun Watson. That would put Watson back in action on August. Uh, let's see, October 23rd against the Ravens. And I would guess that Watson dynasty stakeholders and the people really who've drafted him in, in basketball leagues, the Scott Fishbowl, other leagues with early drafts are probably pretty pleased with the ruling. Uh, now, it's not a slam dunk that the suspension will, in fact, be six games. There's a chance that the NFL could appeal for a longer sentence. The NFLPA has already said that it won't appeal for a shorter sentence. All right, Dwayne. What are you doing with Watson in your rankings? And does this make you any more interested in taking him in drafts you have coming up this month? Well, you know how it goes. It'll all just depend on what does this news do to it to his ADP. I think you could rank him as high as your QB twelve now if you wanted, which would be, you know, I've got a tier there with um Tom Brady, Joe Burrow, Russell Wilson, and Dak Prescott. After that, you move down to Stafford, Rogers, Carr, and Cousins. Um, I think you could slot him above those if you wanted, just from a points per game standpoint, depending on how risky you want to be. But I think at a minimum, you have to rank him right after that tier um, and put him in that kind of Justin Fields mini tier of players with upside that could really serve as arbitrage plays to quarterbacks that go sooner. So that would be above like Tua, Trevor Lawrence, Jameis Winston, Mac Jones, all those sorts. I would definitely take him above those. But let's just see what happens with ADP. We never know for sure how the market is going to react. My guess is he probably settles in somewhere around QB 11, QB 12. Um, you know, especially once we know for sure, like what the league's going to do, like if the league's going to appeal, that could create a little bit more uncertainty, maybe create more of a buying opportunity for Watson. So if you're playing in best ball, the thing with Watson is you still probably want a third quarterback. Um, if you're drafting him as your two, um, if you're drafting him as your one, obviously you have to go with someone else after him. But the beauty is like, he just, from a points per game standpoint, we know what Deshaun Watson is. He's an elite player and it's very rare that you can get a quarterback in the later rounds that could potentially offset someone that takes Josh Allen in the third round. And if it works for you, it's a huge advantage because you did not have to spend the draft capital to get the player. Obviously, going without him for that first six weeks can be tough. Managing your roster if you play in shorter benches and things like that and rostering two quarterbacks, that can also be something you've got to consider. So there's a lot of factors, but at the end of the day, we know he has the upside to help offset um, some of those, you know, early quarterback picks and you're getting him far later. Yeah. He, in his full seasons has been a top five quarterback. Um, does, to what extent, like do the parameters of the league, uh, influence your willingness to take him? Like for instance, I think I might be a little more willing to take him in a league, uh, an industry league where I'm going up against a bunch of heavy hitters and then maybe, you know, settle for a, a QB, to like a fill in for those first six weeks down the line, a to a Trevor Lawrence, someone like that, um, like smaller leagues, larger leagues. You know, I think the smaller the league, the more willing I am to take him. Uh, what about you? Is there like a, a ideal situation you think for drafting him? Well, I really think it just depends on the way your draft's going. So, for example, like I'm really big on this year because of how flat uh, the wide receivers get and then the running backs that I just want to avoid. Um, I'm really big on Lamar Jackson in in round five. Um, Kyler Murray's my number two quarterback in my ranks behind Josh Allen. I have him in the same tier as Josh Allen. So getting Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts in round late round five, round six, and now we've got the confirmation, you know, from Kyle Shanahan that it really is going to be Trey Lance's offense, and they're trying to move Jimmy G, which is really all we needed there. So he, you can get him in around eight or nine. I think those are all my primary targets. But if for some reason I miss on those then my my mind immediately wanders to how am I getting Deshaun Watson 
uh, and possibly both he and Justin Fields onto my team. And what does that mean? And I'm actually, I would be willing to probably reach a little bit. Like I'm not going to skip over really good value at other positions, but if things start to get flat again, I feel good about what my roster looks like at the other spots. I'm going to be a little bit more aggressive with him. Whereas if I get Kyler Murray, you know, in round six, and now all of a sudden Deshaun Watson moves up to a round 10 pick for some reason, I'm probably not going to get him very often on those teams. So it really just comes down to how your draft is playing out in your roster construction and what you're trying to achieve. I think if you miss at quarterback, he should absolutely be one of your, in, in your plans. You need to figure it out how you're going to make that work on your roster. If you've already got a great quarterback, you can let someone else take him if the ADP climbs too much. If it stays low, if it stays depressed, like I've been getting him as my QB2 to go with Kyler Murray, to go with Jalen Hurts, and I've been fine with it. I've done it in a couple of you know mid-stakes drafts just over the last couple of weeks, but I think that his ADP is going to move enough that it's probably going to creep into that range where you would have to sacrifice taking like you know maybe your, your upside running back handcuff swings. And so, again, it really just depends on how I've built the roster um, and to your point, some some will matter, like the the structure, right, of the league. Yeah, um, man, Kyler and Watson, that's a pretty amazing one-two punch. I should ask you about Kyler, since you've got him ranked so highly. Is it just the uh, the fact that he's maybe the only guy outside of Josh Allen who could give you a thousand-yard rushing season and a, a I don't know, four thousand-yard, thirty-five touchdown pass season? Yeah, I think like Kyler, like if you look at you know his his data, like when he's been healthy. I think the upside is 5,000 yards passing and 1,000 yards rushing. Do I think he's going to get to both of those? No. He could more easily get to one or the other, though, and it would be really good. Um, and he could end up just below both of those. He just needs to stay healthy. If Kyler had already shown us a season where he didn't get hurt and trailed, you know, and, and just kind of tailed off, you know, down the stretch, I don't even think this would be a conversation, to be honest. I think he would be going probably two rounds higher than what he's going. So essentially, we're just kind of getting this weird injury discount, you know, where he's had to battle through these injuries around the mid-season point over the last two years. But we've got a big enough sample to know that he is an elite fantasy quarterback, has plenty of options, you know, in the passing game. The AFC and NFC West make up 56% of the games right now over on Superbook that are scheduled for 50 points or more. So those think about it, if you're playing DFS, where does everybody gra- you know gravitate to, right? Those 50 plus, you know, point games. And so when you look at the Cardinals, they're just going to score a lot. They play the NFC West, obviously, and then they're out of division. They get the AFC West. So there's there's no gimmies. They're going to have to score points. So I love Kyler Murray this year. Yeah, frankly, I'm surprised that the people who had Kyler Murray on their rosters last year are letting him slide this far. Because if you had him uh, early on, I mean, he was just piling up the points early in the season, like just smash game after smash game. Um, let me touch on something you just said, Dwayne. And I think this came from the PFF podcast, although it's possible you tweeted it. Um, I think you were talking about the appealing shootout potential in those games in the the AFC West. Um, And even to a lesser degree, maybe you mentioned the NFC West too, which has some pretty potent offenses while we were just talking about the NFC West. So both Wests, uh, go West young man for shootout games. How have you been applying this in drafts? Like, has it been a, a tiebreaker for you when weighing players from those divisions against players from other divisions, or is it more of a front burner item for you? Like does the the Um, 2022 Dwayne McFarland portfolio include an outsized percentage of AFC West and NFC West players? It it does on a lot of my builds. Um, But at the same time, there's just a lot of good players on these teams, right? (laughs) So people are already taking a lot of them high. Um, I think you could actually argue that some of them are just steamed too far at this point, right? Um, you know, when you look at Mike Williams being a third round pick, that's probably steamed. Um, and I love Mike Williams and he plays in this great division, but at the end of the day, yeah, if I can come away with teams that I know are quality teams, they have a good quarterback and they're going to play in a lot of other matchups against other quality teams with good weapons and good quarterbacks. That's really where our shootouts come from. And honestly, when I think about strength of schedule, I don't even think about defense. I just think about which teams get to play, you know, Where do we get the most matchups? Elite quarterback versus elite quarterback. Good quarterback versus good quarterback. Because at the end of the day, that's really what drives the league. The NFL has built this, has built the league around the quarterbacks and now around the passing game. And so defenses, they just really kind of come and go. Yeah, we get some outliers that are really good year to year, but I think the much easier way to think about strength of schedule should be much more 
along the lines of where can we get the most shootouts? Where can we get the biggest games where we know these offenses are going to be pushed to their limits since it is an offensive league? And so if you look at it, 92% of the games this year belong to these teams. There's only 12 teams that make up 92% of the games uh, for 50 plus for 50 plus points or more right now over at Superbook. And it's the Chiefs, the Rams, the Buccaneers, the Chargers, the Cardinals, the Bills, the Raiders, the Packers, the Cowboys, the Bengals. And then really the Broncos and 49ers don't have these 50 plus shootouts, but they have multiple quality matchups. Right. And we know that they have quality offenses as well. So really, there's 10 teams that are hitting on those 50 plus pointers. But the Broncos and 49ers, they've got multiple matchups against teams that are projected to win 10 games or more. So I added those two in there as well. Those are two slower pace teams, as we know. So sometimes you know, it's not going to work out every time. But again, like just look at the AFC West. You've got, uh, you know, we know Patrick Mahomes. We know Justin Herbert. Now you add Russ Wilson. Derek Carr could be potentially the best quarterback in some divisions. Like, think how much Seattle would love to have Derek Carr. That would be like a thousand X upgrade over what they have. And really, Seattle's the only bad team out of the NFC West and AFC West as far as not having a quality offense. So it's 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 something where if it works out right, yes, I'm definitely leaning into it. I definitely have best ball builds where I focused on honestly like 70% of my roster on these teams just just to kind of try to leverage it as much as I can. Then there's others where I haven't as much, but typically it's a balance because because the problem is like you also don't want to pass up elite talent, you know, just just to get these teams. Like, you know, Kadarius Tony's not going to be on your list, right? If you're just looking at these teams and he's a player that I love. So it's really more of a blend. But the more players I come away from my drafts from these teams, especially like the peripheral guys, right? Like if I've got Russ Wilson making sure that I get Tim Patrick, um, making sure I get an Albert Okwabunum. There's a lot of ways to get, especially in best ball, late access to shootout. Like even Tyler Higby goes super late. He could be your tight end too. And there's a lot of ways where this kind of came from. You know, there's so much talk about week 17 and trying to create these bring back stacks if you're in these big best ball tournaments. And I just started thinking like, well, what if we just looked at it for the whole season? Like there's there's macro correlation across these teams. They're all going to be playing each other all year long. You're going to get cross pollination where you've got players from both sides that are just going to blow up. And oh, yeah, by the way, if you draft from that list of teams I just gave you, you're also very likely getting week 17 correlation as well. Over half of those 10 teams end up playing each other. Yeah, you definitely want heavy representation from some of those uh, shootout teams in the West. And, um, you know, as a bonus, I think you're going to uh, some weeks give your opponents a false sense of security as they hit you with, uh, you know, players in the early time, uh, the early window, the early games. <laughs> yeah, you get the, you get the late games. Yep. <laughs> swing, swing the hammer on them in the late afternoon. Uh, yeah, they're going to they're going to get that false sense of late security. afternoon is where you, it's at this year for sure. It definitely is. Um, so you recently tweeted out a list of 10 players who could smash expectations. Let me start with the quarterbacks and running backs you mentioned, uh, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, the aforementioned Deshaun Watson. And uh, I should note that you tweeted this before the the length of the suspension was announced. Chase Edmonds, James Cook, Kareem Hunt. Uh, Let me ask you about the inclusion of James Cook. I, I guess I've been a little hesitant on him just because Josh Allen hasn't exactly pumped up the fantasy value of his running backs to date. In Allen's four years as a starter, he has had 31 touchdown runs. All other Bills running backs combined have had 28 touchdown runs. And Allen really hasn't thrown to his running backs all that often. Bills running backs have ranked 19th, 26th, 29th, and 29th in percentage of team targets. Dwayne, why should I be less reluctant than I have been to draft James Cook? Yeah, and I think those are the points you typically hear the most. And, and for the most part, yeah, we want to avoid receiving backs with rushing quarterbacks. However, there is a certain there's a certain archetype, you know, of running back where we've actually seen so for Cam Newton, for example, like he threw it to Christian McCaffrey all the time. He's a scrambling quarterback. I know the immediate thing people come, well, his arm was shot. Well, I don't care. Like he was a rushing quarterback and he decided to throw it to, to Christian McCaffrey. Do you know why? Because CMC's a badass. <laughs> you want to get the ball in his hands, and you know he could do as much or more than you if you're the quarterback. If you're Josh Allen and you look over and you're like, okay, I could throw this swing pass to Zach Moss, or I can take off for 20. What are you doing? You're, you're Josh Allen. You're taking off for 20. But when you look at Cook, he is a down-the-field plus dot receiving back. 
And that's the profile that I'm looking for. And to be honest, I don't think we have a big enough sample size of where we really have rushing quarterbacks that have crossed over and, and you know, where we've seen the true cross pollination of what it looks like when you have the rushing quarterback in these downfield receiving backs that truly are mismatches. So like your JD McKissick's, your Naheem Hines, your uh, Kareem Hunt, your CMC's, um, your uh, Austin Eckler's, those guys are good enough that I believe even running quarterbacks will throw to them. And the other part of it is they're not just swing pass guys. They're built into the offense. They're often the first read, the second read. They're not the third or the fourth read. Like there's a big difference between A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones is built into the passing game as one of the primary reads quite often for Aaron Rodgers whenever they need it. Whereas A.J. Dillon, he's the fourth read. He's everything's covered. I dump it in the flat. And so the more weapons you have, the less likely the the guys that you know operate mostly in the flats and stuff like that, they just don't get as many targets because guess what? If you've got three matchups across the field, a good quarterback's going to find someone, and we all know that a target downfield is worth much more than a target behind the line of scrimmage. And so when you look at James Cook, one of the best receivers, actually probably behind Rashad White, the best receiver coming out of this class. If you want to talk about someone that can work downfield, I would actually rank him ahead of Rashad White. And then the last factor just being that Buffalo went so hard after a pass receiving back. They thought they had the J.D. McKissick deal done. We found out last week that they had actually gone hard um, after Chase Edmonds as well because he talked about it in an interview, how he had actually talked with Buffalo before signing um, with the Dolphins. And then they don't get either of those two, and they spend a second-round pick on Cook. And so there's a very... I think there's something they're trying to do here, and I think we just need to keep our, our minds open to just simplify, right? Okay, Buffalo, really great offense maybe going to pass the ball more than any other team in the league. They're going to be a high-quality offense. And now we've got a piece that they're adding to the fold that they were very, very interested in adding this sort of archetype. And then lastly, behind Stefan Diggs, we there's a lot of questions. Yeah, and look, Gabriel Davis would be his own pod, so we won't, you know, we don't have to go there. But at the end of the day, there's still a wide range of outcomes that could happen for Gabriel Davis, and in that range is bust. In that range is a you know tertiary option that helps stretch the field. In that range is he could take a big step forward and surprise us um, and do really well. And he could pay off ADP even if he doesn't take a step forward because the Bills throw the ball so much. But the point being, he is not a proven number two. Neither is Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox targets per route run, his PFF receiving rate, all the metrics that we really love to look at for underlying talent. What is the talent providing in this equation? They're all mid to, to below mid. So my point being is it's kind of wide open behind Stefan Diggs. And would it surprise us if all of a sudden a team that likes to throw the ball more than the NFL average in every single situation decides just they want to go warp speed all the time and they want to have this passing down option in the run game with mismatches against linebackers, safeties down the field. I just think it's totally in the range of outcomes. And the last part is ADP, man. We get him in round nine of sharp drafts. Last night got sniped in the uh, pros versus Joes uh, round eight one pick in front of us. James Cook mm. goes, it was going to be the RB. I love him as the RB two uh, on teams where I've gone, where I've got, you know, an anchor and a lot of really strong wide receivers. So like on that team started with CMC, it's a tight end premium. Come back with Kyle Pitts, went four receivers in a row, grabbed Jalen Hurts. Then the next pick was going to be James Cook. He was gone. So we went, went with Kareem Hunt, but those are all the factors for me with Cook. I think we've got to step back and be open-minded, uh, to really what Buffalo is trying to do here. I think we also need to be open-minded to the style of receiving back that James Cook is versus what we've seen Josh Allen play with before. Of all running backs with at least 200 routes ran last year, Devin Singletary was the worst graded PFF receiving grade for running backs in 2021. That is a very compelling case, and I think you have swayed me. Um, and and that's kind of it's it. just that's ADP, really... man. It's like, come on, we got to take a swing at ADP. Like, if he was a fifth <laughs> round pick, I think there's sure, much more sure. nitpicking, right? It's kind of like, well, th- at that point, I think the risk of all the things you laid out because they're still there. They don't go away because of everything I just said. Everything you already said to begin this was they're true, right? So you don't want we, this. I don't want him to steam too far up. But right now. In home leagues, man, you can get this guy between rounds 10 and 12. Like your league mates aren't even thinking about James Cook. Yeah, and maybe um, the perception is that he just doesn't have a chance to take over as the featured guy, and that's why people are hesitating on him, And it, which is kind of a different reason than I was hesitating. Uh, and on him, that, but... I think what you got to remember is, again, if, if the archetype works out and it's really what they're shooting for, remember, Alvin Kamara only had 27% of the Saints rushing attempts his rookie year. He finishes the RB3. 
And, and again, I know, look, I know the immediate thing is, well, he's not Alvin Kamara. Well, guess what? Let's be honest, folks. No one thought Alvin Kamara was Alvin Kamara. Like that's why you could get him in rounds like 11 and 12 in redraft leagues when he was a rookie. If you wanted to reach, he was a round 10 pick. So that's kind of hindsight's 2020, in my opinion, on Kamara. Uh, but, but even if you want to concede that, and let's say you don't have to think that Kamara's his ceiling to take him in the 10th round of drafts. Sure. Yeah. And uh, we know the Bills are going to score a lot of points. We know they're going to run a lot of plays because they're going to have a lot of long sustained drives. But I, I really like your point about um, Cook not necessarily being a passive participant in the passing game, a, a flare pass guy. He is a guy who will work downfield, run wheel routes, run other patterns. And, uh, you know, and obviously the Bills have sort of signaled their intention to use him that way with their pursuit of a, a true pass catching running back throughout the offseason. So maybe it's just a case of the Bills not having had the type of guy they wanted during Allen's first four years. Yeah. And, and so, sort of- yeah. And like, so I, I get the thing with like Camara, right? He had a, he had the check down King of Drew Brees. And I think that is also, it's a valid point, right? But think the Bills could throw the ball 200 times more than what that Saints team threw it. So even if we get a little bit lower target rate from Josh Allen, you know, to, um, you know, Cook, it could still all wash out and work the same because they throw the ball so much. Like there's just a lot of outs for Cook. Let's talk about the receivers you had on your could smash expectations list. And we'll get into one guy you mentioned a second ago, Kadarius Toney. You also had Sky Moore and Traylon Burks, a pair of rookies. So uh, let's take them one at a time. Let's talk about Tony because I'm an enthusiast as well. I think a lot of listeners know that. What has you so excited about him? Yeah, and so again, and these are all players that you can get after round six of your fantasy draft. So, and the other thing, the other criteria for this list that I made, um, kind of back to the running backs real quick, is that they can't just be a handcuff. They have to have some sort of role in the offense. We, We know that like... Um, you could get lucky and Alexander Madison could smash a season, right? But it takes an injury to Dalvin Cook for it to happen. So this list of players has to be someone with some path to a role that we know of today. We feel pretty good about it. And they could definitely destroy, you know, their ADP in, you know, round seven and on. And so with Kadarius Tony, like for me, it's pretty simple. Like he just flashed all the elite underlying signals we want. Now the caveat is it was on a very small um, sample size but he nearly got to the 75.0 uh, PFF rookie receiving grade, which basically is just a list of like the elites of elites. He just missed it at 74.4, but targets per route run 26%. And so that's high end wide receiver one numbers yards per route run 2.09 high end wide receiver one numbers. So now we've got a rookie that put up, you know, a PFF receiving grade that typically leads to wide receiver two, wide receiver one, you know, seasons in the future also hit these other key metrics that we want. And we know it's a wide open pecking order. Um, you know, we don't really know who the Giants lead, you know, is. But if I were to put a chip down right now on a Brian DeBull offense, now there are cautions with Tony, which is they talked about trading him before the draft. The guy's, you know, he's been injured a lot. He's also a player that doesn't always seem to rub coaches the right way. So there's definitely risk with him. But as far as on the field, every metric you look at, you love. And he's all honestly, Tony, I think, is one of the easiest guys, Pat. Like when if anyone were just to turn on NFL film and you didn't know anything about NFL film, and I just showed you 30 seconds of Kadarius Tony, I think everyone would know he's good. <laughs> like when you just watch what he does, it's just it's kind of crazy. These the, he's he's doing this against the best athletes in the world in the NFL. Like I'm a Cowboys fan. I live here in Dallas. Totally, totally had Trayvon Diggs just turn all around every route after the catch. It, it didn't matter, and, and you could tell how frustrated the Cowboys were with him. They wanted to hit him at the sideline. They wanted to blow this guy up. They were so pissed. They could not do anything about it. He did it again against the Saints and against their top, their top guys. You know, so I mean, he's out here doing this against top cornerbacks. So to me, everything just lines up. If whether you're a film bro, whether you're an analytics bro, whether you're a both bro, whether you're you know just want to watch some highlights, bro, doesn't matter. Kadarius Stone. He looks great on all of those. So absolutely love him. Um, and I think if you were to make an argument, and I'm not always keen on doing these things, you got to be careful with comparing coaches and their old scheme and what players fit. But like the guy that's the most like Stefan Diggs on this offense that can run those quick hitch routes, the intermediate slants, all the quick hitting stuff that Diggs really took in the intermediate area of the field, it's Tony. 
Galladay would profiles much more as the Gabe Davis, the guy that's going to take the top off the defense, win some contested balls, going to be a target in the end zone. Um, then you got Sterling Shepard still recovering. You got Wandell Robinson, who could really he's making noise in camp as well. So he could he could actually do some things out of the slot. But the great thing is we know Tony's playing outside. So that means he could actually be on the field no matter what formation they're in, whether they want to run two tight ends, whether they want to use a fullback, whether they want to use three wide receivers. This guy's got a real path to being on the field all the time. And I think he could I think he has an upside for 150 plus targets. You know, I run to I run a range of outcomes on all these players. And Tony is one of the ones that you're getting this late. He's one of the few that has a reasonable expectation of hitting that target rate. Every player could maybe get to 150 in their 1% you know, range of outcomes. This is a player that can get there in like their 75th, 80th percentile range of outcomes. Oh man, if he could stay healthy and uh, get that sort of target count, the results would be pretty exciting. Because yeah, like you're speaking my language and, and what we saw in that small sample was just so compelling. If we were playing word association, Dwayne, I think the word that would immediately pop to mind with Kadarius Tony is springy. He's just a oh, springy, yeah. like a- amazing athlete. It's just like a coil releasing a coil. I mean, the guy is just so explosive and it just completely pops when you watch him play. So um, it's, yeah, I mean, like one you hear Matt Waldman use, you know, he talks about, you know, the, you know, like the electricity that you just feel coming off the player. Like it's just, there's another level. He's just amped. You know, he's juiced to a different level than everyone around him. And, and, and really, look, you just don't see it that often, even at this level. It's very rare to see players that can make other NFL players look, to be honest, just so bad and so ordinary. Um, so I think you have to take note. What about the two rookies on your list, Sky Moore and yeah. Traylon Burks? Yeah, so again, this list, like <laughs> I know a lot of people responded with a lot of other great options. I was very specific with the way I thought through this list. I'm actually writing an article on it today. Um, I'll be submitting later. This was just kind of like a, the teaser was on Twitter yesterday. Um, but like there's a lot of guys I don't have here, like Garrett Wilson, uh, Chris Olave. And so the factors I'm looking at, one, talent, like what we just talked about, Kid Ayers, Tony. Then you're looking at the team, you know, uh, makeup, like how often do we think they're really going to run versus pass? What's the quality of their team? And then what's the competition for touches and snaps? You know, if you want to throw something on the end, you could really talk about the strength of schedule kind of thing. Like how many shootouts are they going to be in that kind of stuff? So really I was, and it was hard. Like there were some other players that were really close, but where Sky Moore, you know, gets a nod is because one, we already, you know, he, he's got the talent. Um, I know that he comes from a small school, but he's a second round pick. And I did a study on these receivers before the draft and the NFL really has what I would call staple routes. And so these are the routes that teams use over the last three years, at least 7% or more. And so if you, if you make the cutoff at routes that are used at least 7% of the time in the NFL, it basically gets you to around 60 to 65% of all routes that are run. And so I just basically took all of those routes because these are kind of the things we know every NFL team is going to use that they all incorporate them into their schemes. And I just looked at all the players in, in college football and, and looked at, okay, who has the best grades, who has the best yards per route on all of these types of routes in college over their career. And Sky Moore very clearly came out number one. He was the number one ranked you know prospect from that aspect. And so that that's number one. I do believe that the talent is there for Sky Moore. Number two, Marquise Valdez-Scantling has never done anything. I think the Chiefs wasted $10 million. It ultimately ends up really just being a one year for $10 million. Um, and maybe it's fine. You can just let him run gassers down the field all day, uh, let him stretch out the field. Um, Patrick Mahomes is going to hit him some. Like MVS is going to come through in best ball you know, for some teams on certain weeks. Like I, I have no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, He's never shown, I have a process that I like to use to find breakout receivers. I've actually posted it over on PFF. It talks about my whole process. I give the background, the things that I'm looking for. And unfortunately for Marquis Valdez-Scantling, he doesn't check any boxes, zero. So I immediately discount him then. Receivers don't just turn into good receivers because their quarterback's better. A quarterback can help raise the level, but you have to be good especially playing outside receiver against the best corners, playing against safeties over the top. You have to be really good. And Marquis Valdez-Scantling is not good. And so that's that's factor number one. Factor number two on the target competition is Juju. So Juju, I like him and I'm fine with where he's at at ADP. I've actually warmed on him a little bit. But his talent profile has been deteriorating basically since his breakout. Yards per route run, targets per route run, everything down every year. And a lot of people tie it to Ben. I would more so give him a pass due to injuries than Ben. And the reason why is because those things didn't bother Deontay Johnson. 
they bothered Chase Claypool a lot less than they bothered Juju. So I think to pin it all on Ben, but then see these other two guys able to produce and put up the underlying metrics that we want to see, I think it's kind of misleading just to say, well, it was all due to Ben. So I think there's questions around Juju. Then we get to Travis Kelsey, who I love, and I'm actually fine with his ADP, but at the end of the day, he is 33. Like So every year that goes on, like the chance that someone hits a cliff is higher. He may not hit the cliff at all this year. It may just be great. Like you could make an argument this will be Travis Kelsey's highest target share season maybe of his career, and I think you would be right to make that argument. But at the end of the day, like there is more risk baked in. So when you take all those factors, and then you get to say you get to play with Patrick Mahomes, you get to play in the AFC West, and all these in all of these matchups and shootouts. I just think there's a real chance Sky Moore is the number two target on the team. And then again, the final factor is ADP. These are all guys that you're getting after round six. Juju goes in round six or round five of most drafts. You can get Sky Moore and between round 10 and 12 in your home leagues, sometimes a little bit later if you're playing in a sharp draft. Sky Moore is a ninth round pick, 10th round pick. So he's an absolute priority because of the things I just named. I don't know if you want to hit anything there. If you want me to just go ahead and trade, hit, go ahead and hit the next one, which is Traylon Burks. Sure, sure. <laughs> Yeah, so, um, so I mean, Bert, I, yeah, you go ahead. Oh, go. I was, I was just going to say that with Sky Moore, you just uh, worry that you know he doesn't get helium in that ADP. Now that we're getting some pretty good reports from camp, it was almost sort of nice that he was dealing with a hamstring issue. I think it was a hamstring issue. Yeah, because uh, he actually cooled. He started off hot in ADP, and then he's cooled over the last month. Yeah, and uh, yeah. I, Man, if we just keep hearing positive reports from Chiefs camp, I'm I'm worried that it's going to ascend <laughs> again, and and he could wind up in like the ninth round or something by the time we're done. Um, all right, Dwayne, sorry, uh, go ahead on on Traylon Burks. No, no, that's good. Um, so with Burks, obviously you're not getting the same offense that you're getting with Sky Moore, but you're getting a first round draft pick, and he is a bit polarizing to people. And when you watch him and you break down everything about Traylon Burks, like even for me, it's polarizing um, because I'm not sure. Like, is he a gadget player? Can he really work down the field? Like there's a small sample of him beating really good corners from good teams down the field, you know, outside man to man. But then there's also the fact that Arkansas just used him in the backfield. No other, no other, you know, player, you know, in college football, you know, that we would think of as being an outside X type player like Wondell Robinson. There's some other like gadgety players, but guys that we think of as playing traditionally on that on the outside got more looks at or behind the line of scrimmage in college than Traylon Burks. So what we don't know. Is that because Traylon Burks had a limitation or is that just because if you looked at Arkansas, their quarterbacks were terrible and they were just trying to find the easiest way to get the ball into Traylon Burks's hands? I think that's the question. But at the end of the day, overall, his talent profile still pops enough and all the metrics that we want to look at, you know, for these rookies, he has the draft capital. You got A.J. Brown moving on. So all, and he's got a good enough quarterback with Ryan Tannehill. So he's going to check all the boxes we want to check. And he can be really electric after the catch. And if you look at the way the Titans build their passing game, it is really all about yards after the catch. A.J. Brown off of play action on digs, uh, deep crossers, things like that. That's really where he made his hay. And I think Traylon Burks, he's going to have to overcome the challenge of can he beat that press coverage? Can he beat some of the better corners man-to-man? But if he can... He profiles as someone that could absolutely capitalize on the type of scheme that they're running because of what he does after the catch. That is his strongest. That's his strong suit. And so if he can if he can overcome, you know, some of the the worries we have. And again, we've seen him do it on a limited sample. But if he can overcome that, he's definitely going to outperform ADP right now because Burks, you can get anywhere between rounds eight and ten, depending on the platform you're playing on. It does seem like he's such a good fit for that offense. And, uh, you know, if he can step in and sort of take that A.J. Brown role and, like, thrive and run with it and, like you said, beat press coverage, beat man. Like I, li- I, I like Garrett Wilson better than him, but Garrett Wilson just has other hurdles, right? We've got the ascending right. talent of Elijah Moore. Corey Davis is also a, a former top eight draft pick, isn't going away. We've got a question, a major question mark about Zach Wilson. They also want to be more of a run heavy offense. Probably won't be able to because they're probably going to be trailing all the time. But like Garrett Wilson, I like better as a player than Burks. But once you line everything out, you know, it's Burks. Same for Alave. Really like him. But man, if Mike, if, if, if Michael Thomas is healthy, like, I'm sorry. Like it really hurts Chris Olave. Traylon, Traylon Burks has a much better shot um, and can come through on less, you know, because of his yak ability. Um, you know, he's not a guy that's going to give you a hundred catches, but he could give you a set. He could give you 70 and still give you 1100 yards and you get lucky and score eight, nine touchdowns. Yeah. And I routinely saw Burks go behind Wilson and Olave in dynasty rookie drafts, which is fine. But I think for redraft, uh, 
it would be really hard for me to put those guys ahead of Traylon Burks. Yeah, for um, sure. If you're if you're drafting Dynasty, you know the way you weight all these factors I've been talking about is you just immediately move eighty percent of it to talent. <laughs> you know <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Uh, so for redraft, we've got to split that up a little more. Talent's still the leading factor, uh, but then once you calculate the other things in, it definitely reshuffles the deck. Now, Dwayne, you recently mentioned that in several dozen drafts that you've completed so far, you have not drafted Najee Harris even once. Why not? Yeah, and so with Najee, we know the volume's going to be there. It's honestly more of um, the where he's falling in ADP. He, he goes anywhere from the middle of the second, which I will never draft him there, um, to the end of the first. And then sometimes slides into the early second. Eventually, I will get some exposure to Harris, but here's my big challenge. Harris is not an explosive playmaker. Um, he is not a breakaway threat. And that that's challenge number one. Number two, we've got major quarterback questions. We don't know for sure what's going to happen in Pittsburgh. Um, I think you're going to see an offense that's way different. They are going to run the ball more this year, so that could be good for Najee. But this has not been Roethlisberger's offense anymore. So Matt Canada is going to go more under center. There's going to be less opportunity to get check downs to the backs for a couple of reasons. Number one, these quarterbacks aren't going to check it down as much. And Najee is a, is, is a guy that's going to catch passes in the flat. He is not what we talked about with James Cook. That's not his archetype. He's much more, is everybody else covered? Great, check it down. Well, they've also got multiple weapons. We've got Deontay Johnson. We've got uh, Claypool. And now you add, and you add Pickens, who's making a lot of noise in camp. And you have Fryermuth, had a, who had a good season as a rookie. They have arguably four options that are better to throw the ball to in the passing game than Najee Harris. And so I just think all those factors together, but the biggest part being the fact that the number of passes is, is going to shrink significantly, and I don't think a lot of people are really factoring that in. And if you look at Najee Harris, of all the top 12 running backs last year, when you flip him from PPR to standard leagues, meaning you just don't give him points for his receptions, his value drops 25%. That's the most of all the top 12 backs. And so I think his target share is going to go down significantly. I think the number of passes in the passing game is going to go down significantly. And I think there's just a, there's a lot of risk in his profile because he's not a big playmaker. And now you take away his targets, even though we know the volume is going to be there. I'm fine with, to, honestly, Najee should be priced in the mid second round, like the way I do my tiers. And that's why I don't get him. Like he should be, honestly, I would rather draft Saquon Barkley than I would rather draft Najee Harris. Um, Barkley's going to be on the field just as much. Guys, just probably a better chance to be more involved in the passing game. And Barkley can be a plus a dot player. Barkley's a guy that actually worked down the field and beat linebackers and safeties. And if Barkley still has his juice, something that we know Najee doesn't have, he now gives you the big play upside. So I would just rather take a guy like Saquon Barkley than Najee. And so a lot of it is just that, you know, I, what I can do in the second round, I, I could easily take Justin Jefferson in the middle of the first and come back with Saquon. If we're talking about the end of the first round, I could take Dalvin Cook, who I like a lot better than Najee Harris. And then I could come back around and I could get C.D. Lamb. Um, so it's it's really about where he's going in drafts. He, he profiles much more like a Leonard Fournette, but on a bad offense, on an, off, on an offense that could be bad. They could surprise us and they could be good. But there's just a lot of questions there. So the volume is really all we're getting from Najee. I just don't see a lot of upside for him to make me regret passing on him. It's an excellent point about his, uh, you know, what will quite possibly be reduced usage in the passing game. And uh, yeah, running behind that offensive line, I've, I've got some concerns too. And I don't think uh, you have to avoid him, to be fair, Pat. Like people that take Najee, I never look at their draft and think, man, their draft sucks. So I, I want to make sure I'm being clear about that. I have a very specific process that I use. And I want floor and upside in my round one picks. And I don't think Najee gives me enough ceiling. And that that's really, at the end of the day, everything I just said in a nutshell is that. But if you take him, I don't think you're going to crash and burn because you took Najee Harris. Right. Um, but I mean, I think there are people willing to take him at like 104 right now. And, and maybe yeah, those no people way. should no way. rethink that. Um, I think that is crash and burn. If you're getting him at the end of the first, fine. If you're taking him in the, in the top four picks, I... I don't think that's a sound strategy this year. I, I could look, I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I, I do have a process that I follow and I try to be true to it. <laughs> I agree with you on that. Um, all right, Dwayne. So we're going to meet in person at the fantasy football expo in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm a little nervous because we're going to be playing in this, uh, true Davenport's charity poker tournament together. And in your Twitter profile, it's a picture of you sitting on an enormous stack of poker chips. So, uh, are you an avid player? 
I love poker uh, for a lot of the same reasons I love fantasy. You know, I, I, I just love thinking about all the angles to the game. I love thinking about the strategy of the game. I love trying to think multiple steps ahead of opponents. There's just so many layers to it. I will be honest, I'm rusty. I haven't, I haven't sat at a poker table at a tournament in probably 18 months. I used to play all the time. Um, and I just haven't. I just haven't had like, you know, the time with just everything else going on in my world, not just fantasy, but you know, family life, lots of different things going on. But, um, yeah, I've, I've gone to the world series. I've played in the world series. I've played in a lot of, you know, big events and I've done, I've done okay. Um, but we'll see, I'm going to be rusty, but I, I just love playing and man, I'm just looking forward to hanging out with everybody, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely try to win, but at the same time, I'm a very competitive person and it's something I've tried to improve on like in my life is understanding what are the moments where it's just really more about camaraderie, even though you may want to win and like, how do you blend those two things? So that's really what I'm going to be looking to do. I I'm just, I'm looking forward to getting to sit at a table with all these other people that I've never met, hang out, have a good time. And if I can beat them, don't be wrong. I'm definitely still going to try. <laughs> it's going to be a blast. Although I do hope I'm not drawn to your table, uh, knowing that you have played the world series of poker. Uh, what, what is your style, by the way, are you, uh, on the continuum between, uh, you know, rock, you only play the, uh, premium starting hands or complete maniac. Where do you fall? I try to be what I need to be based on the table. Um, so it's very much like fantasy. Everything's contingent. You know, there's a lot of if then kind of stuff going on, uh, trying to get a read on your table. If everybody's playing too tight, I'm going to play a lot looser. If everybody's playing too loose, you know, I may tighten up a little bit. You know, and you want to just, you got to keep throwing the curveballs, the knuckleballs. You can't let people really get onto you. And also you're just, you're going to gauge immediately, like what's the talent level of the table you're playing at. And based on that, like that's going to help you understand what kind of risk that you're going to need to take. And, you know, for me, like with poker, like what I'm all it's, here's what I will say. It's a betting game. It's not a cards game. It's about knowing how to place bets, where to place them, when you should do it, when you shouldn't do it. Um, because you can't just sit back and wait on premium hands to win. You've got to have many other gears to your game to ultimately win really big tournaments. Now, the less competition you have in the field um, mixes how much of that that you may need to do and how you would like to pick your spots. But in the day, you know, poker's a betting game. You know, um, you know, that's how you win hands is, is through betting. And so I, I like to bet I'm sticky. You're not going to push me off of a lot of hands. And, you know, I'm going to test you. I'm going to test how willing, how far you're willing to take something. You have been warned if you are sitting at Dwayne McFarland's table at the Fantasy Football Expo Poker Tournament. Um, Dwayne, what were you doing before you became a full-time fantasy analyst a year ago? Yeah, so I actually worked in the healthcare industry for pretty much my whole career before that. Um, I started off uh, as a pharmaceutical rep. Um, which was an awesome, like really kind of early gig, you know, in my life, uh, met a lot of great pe people, learned a lot of great things about the industry. And then ultimately I moved over to, uh, a company named Visient here in Dallas. Back then they were called something different, but essentially they represent about 55% of the hospitals in the nation. And they've got a contracting arm, they've got a consulting arm, and then they've got an analytics, uh, arm. And so I, I went to work in the analytics department. So I used to negotiate with them like for their national contracts. And so through that, I had actually negotiated with someone that ended up going over to the analytics department. We got to talking and they reached out and they're like, Hey, we're trying to build these tools for the hospital so they can better negotiate, you know, with the suppliers, which I was in the supplier role at the time. And they're like, we need this subject matter expert. And I had always loved data. I had all, you know, like tied back. That's why I like fantasy football. That's why I like <laughs> poker. I like probabilities. I like percentages. So it was just a perfect fit for me. So I started off there as a product manager. Then eventually when I left, um, I was leading the product team around all the supply chain data and analytics solutions. And so got to meet a ton of great people, got to learn a lot more about uh, data, a lot more about analytics and things like that, that I've honestly been able to parlay and like take my fantasy football game to another level based on things I just learned working with so many other smart people at that company. Wow. So you were really uh, groomed for this new job. Uh, their loss is definitely our gain. And I'm glad you made the switch. Um, Dwayne, I mentioned your, your Twitter profile picture at the poker table. Your Twitter background picture is Bob Marley. So are you a, a big Bob Marley guy, other reggae too, or mostly just Marley? Uh, what's interesting about, you know, Marley is I really just started giving, I, I know a lot of his songs just because you do like he's part of our culture. Right. 
but I had never really truly dug into his music before. And so I'm always trying to go back and find an artist to do that too. And so Marley was, was the guy this off season. And I watched some documentaries, some different things on him. And I just kind of fell in love with him. I was like, you know, like any, any human, we all have our flaws, but like, uh, I just love the fact, like where he came from, you know, just such a, a really, really poor background, um, but was able to take something he loved and was able to stay true to it, his passion and ultimately turn it into something. And then once he became big, you know, he was still very much a man, you know, of the people, he was someone that gave back, you know, to the community. So I just like his underlying story overall. And then at the end of the day, when I listen to his music, it's just uplifting to me. You know, it makes, it puts me in a better space. It puts me in a better mood. And he's just like, there's just so many, you know, and his music is very, thematic right he has these themes that he ties to and a lot of it is just about you know um being okay with yourself being okay with who you are being connected you know with nature what's important it's almost like there's like this monk-esque kind of thing going on you know in, in the uh you know the sub levels of like what's going on you know with bob marley so i just kind of fell in love with it i've been listening to a lot of his stuff this off season um like i said puts me in a good space to write and you know how this industry is pat like you know it's you know when you're out there on social media and you're doing all these things all the time, you know, there's, you know, there's pros and cons to that. And so I like finding ways to keep myself centered, whether that means being outside, whether that's the music that I listen to, um, you know, because this can be, you know, it can be tough in certain ways that some people may not see, you know, and there's, there's all sorts of things that you got to wrestle with as a content creator. So anything I can do to help me with that and music is definitely one of those. And so I've really fallen in love, um, with his music. Yeah, he's a guy who left us way too early. Sort of like Stevie Ray Vaughan from your uh, native yeah, states. Yeah. Um, it just it would have been amazing to see what he could have done with, uh, you know, like more years. I mean, I'm sure that just like doubling the size of his catalog uh, would have been spectacular. But yeah, he just, the dude seemed to ooze charisma. Amazing background band. Like the Whalers are, are fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, very tight. Do you have a, a favorite Marley song? Honestly, it's so hard. Uh, it is hard, just because, man. Again, because he's, you know, he's still fairly new to me. So it's just like, I love the whole catalog. <laughs> Honestly, like when, I, if, if I just tell, and I don't want to say it too loud because she'll respond, but if I tell Alexa to play Bob Marley, like I don't care where it starts. I don't care where it ends. Like, and I don't, I never tell her to skip. Like that's the sign of someone that I really love. You know, most artists, I'm going to have a skip in there. Hey, next song. I never do it, you know, with, with Marley. I just let, you know, all of them play. Yeah, really no uh, soft spots in the catalog. It's all so strong. All right, Dwayne, in the time we have left, got to hit on a few key things with you. One, training camps. Uh, have you moved anyone up or down in your rankings significantly based on early reports? Um, you know, there's there's a few names. Mostly I'm still monitoring. I, I'm, I try not to overreact too much to camp early. Um, but there are certainly a few, um, so there, there's players that I've actually liked, you know, and I've been really happy to get them at the end of the end of drafts. And now they're starting to move up. So we talked about one in earlier, we mentioned one, right. Wandell Robinson. I think folks have just got to, you know, all along he's been going too too late because he's a second round pick. And just on that alone, there was a disconnect between him and all the other receivers. George Pickens is another, but now that we're seeing them on the field and three wide starting sets, we're also getting the positive, you know, camp reports. We don't want to overreact to camp reports, especially this guy looks amazing. It, we'll see. Like we, what we want to do is keep all this information in our mind. And then when we start getting the early preseason games, how do we start bringing those things together? Right. And are we, and I love Sigmund Bloom is my favorite. Like when it comes to this stuff, talking about that consistent drumbeat, like where are we hearing the consistent drumbeat? But yeah, like You've got to, you know, you've got to move Wandell Robinson up. You've got to move Pickens up because you want people that are using your rankings to be able to have a shot to get these players and drafts. And, and ADP is part of my process and the way that I build out my tiers because I, I want you to be able to see the type of archetype player you should target, but I also want you to be able to draft them really the latest you possibly could and still get them on your roster, right? And have them be an advantage. So when ADP starts moving on players like this, you have to, obviously the other one is Julio Jones, right? We got, we get major you know, news there. It's, I guess it's more just he signed, right? Than what we're hearing in training camp. You know, so Julio's a guy that's definitely moved up. Uh, trying to think right now, like off the top of my head, is there another one you had in mind? Like those are the ones that immediately jump out to me that I know I adjusted here recently. Yeah, those are... Uh... 
I would say that's that's kind of it too. Just um, rookie receivers right now. Um, Pickens is one who I mean he was basically free in drafts a while ago, and uh, yeah. I'm not not quite sure he's why up that like was. Two or three rounds now, man. Like, yeah, he's. he's yeah. I mean, he has looked so fantastic. The the thing I would give people advice on, like be really careful about starting to fade players too soon. So for example, I've seen the stuff out of chargers camp right around. And again, everything has context, <laughs> but I hear the stuff where Larry Roundtree is getting second team reps. Joshua Kelly is getting second team rep. Look, we've seen Larry Roundtree and Joshua Kelly. Yes. Is it in the range of outcomes that they beat Isaiah Spiller out for the number two role behind Eckler? It is in the range of outcomes, but I'm not at a point right now where I would budge on my view of, I, of Isaiah Spiller. He should have been a second round NFL pick. He ran a slow 40 time. That's the bottom line. He fell to the fourth round. Um, but we know those other two players aren't good. And we also know that, remember, it's practice, folks. Coaches have many reasons for the way they handle the reps at practice. A lot of coaches just want to teach a rookie a lesson. That, hey, man, you're going to have to earn this. And that could be the message they're trying to send a spiller. So be very careful with things like that. I would be very careful with getting sour on Rashad White too soon because you're hearing something about a Gio Bernard or you're hearing something about a, a Keyshawn Vaughn who was a third-round pick with the with you know the coaching staff that took him and they could never get him on the field so don't sour too soon on like buy the dips on those things when people let isaiah spiller slide because of news like that buy when they when they let rashad white buy that dip don't because guess what all we need is next week one storyline rashad white took you know he was the first guy to take passing down reps in practice guess what now his adp goes back up so it's kind of a give and take. We got some guys that are ascending. There are other guys that people are starting to get afraid of because they're not hearing the positive vibes. They don't. They want that reinforcement, you know, and you're not getting them yet. Remember, we're still really early. Yeah, and uh, like you said, a lot of coaches do that thing with the veteran hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Where no matter what, they're going to put a, a rookie on the fourth string when the first depth charts come out, and they're going to have them take reps in that order. So it's and, and the probably- easiest thing. The easiest question, and you tell me what you think, that that you can ask yourself is this. If Austin Eckler went down, you know, uh, week five in the regular season, and even at that point you thought that Larry Roundtree was the backup, still where would you put your chip if you had to pick one of those three backs to be the one that's going to change the way that, you know, you finish your season in fantasy football? Yeah, like, Spiller. Like, no like question. for me, it's still easily Spiller, <laughs> a guy that was a, a dual threat back in college, uh, and and we know there's upside. The other two guys, we pretty much know what they are. They're early down bangers, you know, um, that haven't been very good at banging. So, uh, sorry, you might want to cut that. That probably sounded terrible, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean. So, you ask yourself that question. Ask yourself that question whenever you get to that spot in your draft, and you're hearing some kind of noise around some guy that we really know is just a guy and we've seen it for multiple years. Yeah. And uh, by the way, you mentioned other guys or, or other things that I was kind of attuned to in the early part of training camp, not necessarily the guy who has been popping Isaiah McKenzie. I know that people are raving about the camp he's had with the bills, but just the fact that Jamison Crowder has not been practicing seems like he's probably not going to be the guy who wins that slot role. Uh, I've, not really been a big Jamison Crowder guy to begin with, but I think a lot of people, at least based on the drafts I've been seeing, think he uh, will be that guy. So I would I would hesitate. On yeah, McKenzie's definitely is the other big climber. Uh, McKenzie, Wondell Robinson, George Pickens, those guys have probably all climbed the most in the last week. And and look, McKenzie is just, uh, I think he's more of a difference maker than Crowder. Uh, I don't want to discount Crowder because if you look at his, at his underlying data points, technically as the most pedigree on the team, behind uh you know stefan diggs so crowder's a guy that if he gets pushed down boards i don't mind still taking a swing on him but i do think that right now the best chip is probably going to be mckenzie i think we do have to kind of be a little careful just because crowder not practicing but i I think mckenzie when you watch him he's just he's a much more explosive player (laughs) than crowder so back to that upside what's the ceiling for a player like that and look we've seen uh Guys that are really more can get open quick type players already be wide receiver threes in that offense, right? Like Cole Beasley. Um, but what we've seen with Isaiah McKenzie in a very limited sample size, you know, he's given us more than a wide receiver three finish in, in some of those games. Yeah, he's had some really nice outputs there. So it would be interesting to see him get that role full time. Uh, Dwayne, I can't have you on the show without asking you to make the case for Kyle Pitts as a third round pick. 
<laughs> yeah. So with Pitts, look, it's just, again, I, there's a process I follow. And when you look at all of his underlying data points, it's only a matter of when is he the tight end one overall. It's really not a matter of if it's going to happen. But I think the very clear path that if you're wanting a storyline to follow uh, in, in training camp that I think you know really matters and maybe we can get a tell on it, even who knows what they'll do with him in preseason, but will they just play him inside more? You're, you're playing him outside, going up against the best cornerbacks from the other team, and he still demolishes what we would expect from tight ends who get to play inside against linebackers and safeties. In fact, like if you look at his PFF rookie receiving grade, it eclipsed the 80 uh, 0.0 PFF receiving grade, which is a list of who's who at receiver. And that's basically what he played. Only 51% of his targets came against linebackers or safeties last year. You had tons of receivers that got more looks against linebackers and safeties than what Kyle Pitts did. So I think even if he has to continue playing outside, he should be in your top three tight ends no matter what. But if he moves inside this year and they truly let him work against linebackers and safeties that, sorry, can't cover him, there's not going to be many that can even have a shot. And you get him inside where we know Marcus Mariota is more willing to throw the football. We've seen Marcus Mariota actually already support like elite seasons for Delaney Walker as a tight end. So if he moves inside, my prediction is he will be the tight end one this year. If he gets to play more from the slot, if he gets to play more in line, it'll happen. If he has to stay outside, he's still not going to disappoint you. And he still has the upside of being the tight end one overall. And he's still going to be a value for where you're getting him at the end of the third round. But the way I kind of look at it, Pat, is I could take, um, you know, Michael Pittman, who I like. I, I've been above consensus on Michael Pittman the whole way. And, and you get a receiver, um, you know, that you're really going to like. But the difference you can get at the position with Pittman, because essentially they're the same. I have them projected for the same stat line. Take the tight end. It just gives you a better positional advantage, you know, over your league mates. If uh, you have a tight end that can score more like a wide receiver one um, in your tight end slot. Dan Harris and I used to make the point on the Fantasy Pro Sunday Night Recap pod last year that just for the love of God, please line Kyle Pitts up in line as a tight end every once in a while <laughs> exactly. so he can get linebackers and safeties instead of like number one cornerbacks constantly. So uh, great point. And so there's and a chance of that. You had, you had yeah, Drake, Drake London? Right. London we'll allows see. them to do that. So let's hope, man. Let's hope. Um, Dwayne, I, I've taken up a lot of your time already, but I do have to ask one last question before I let you go. I know you've got a stance in the debate over who should be the 101, Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey. Where do you stand on this? Um, so I've currently have JT number one, but it's because a lot of people, you know, are drafting multiple teams. And so if you only, if you, if you want to have Jonathan Taylor, like you kind of got to take him, if you want exposure, you got to take him at the one, one, but if you're just getting to draft one team, and maybe that's really the way I should rank these, because uh, a lot of people are just drafting one team, especially now that we're kind of moving out of, you know, not best ball season is never over, I guess, you know, but we're moving more into redraft mode. Um, if you only get to draft one team and you're playing in a PPR or a half PPR format, like it's easy to take CMC. And it's just, here's the thing. His injuries are uncorrelated. It's it's not anything where whenever you look at them, you're like, wow, he's going to be at a, and, and this isn't coming from me. This is coming from all the awesome folks that, you know, put out content around injuries that are just way more qualified than me. Right. We've got, we've got doctors of physical therapy. We've got doctors commenting on this stuff. It's honestly a place where our game or our fantasy football has just made leaps and bounds. in like the last five years, the amount of really good injury analysis that we get, and it's not going to always be right, but these guys are following a process for the most part, right? The good ones are. And they're looking at the literature. They're looking at what it means for the NFL. And when they tell me that Christian McCaffrey, which we really shouldn't be worried about. And like Edwin Porras is one of these guys I really trust then I believe that. And whenever I look at what CMC can do in the passing game, his ceiling is just, it's a hundred points higher than, than Jonathan Taylor. It just is. Jonathan Taylor, honestly, is a, you know, he could lose passing down work this year. Um, you know, the, if you look at the Colts, they were in leading scripts, the fourth most, the fourth most, you know, percentage of their plays, they led by four or more points. So everything lined up super well for JT last year. Now JT is an, is a beast folks. He's a beast. So don't take this wrong but there's a potential that we see more Naheem Hines if they're playing in closer games, if they end up in more shootouts, that alone will cause regression to the number of snaps that JT is going to play. They've already clearly told us that Naheem Hines is still going to be like that two minute back, just like he was last year. And we could just see more two minute, you know, offense situations. So in that scenario, I, I like I said, I still have JT at the number one. 
but I would have no problem with someone taking CMC. And I think you easily make the argument that you get the most upside out of CMC in half point and full point PPR. Ladies and gentlemen, that's Dwayne McFarland of PFF. Go check out all of his outstanding work at pff.com and go get yourself a PFF sub. Trust me, PFF is just an indispensable source during this fantasy season. And of course, Dwayne's work is a big reason why. Find him on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. Dwayne, thanks so much for stopping by. I appreciate you guys having me. And that's it for the show. My thanks once again to this week's guest, Dwayne McFarland of PFF. Find him on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. Fits on Fantasy is produced by Calm Kelly. Find him on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. The music is provided by International Jet Sets. And my friends, I want to thank you for your listenership and support. Those of you who have listened to Fits on Fantasy for the last few years know that I like to roll out A-list guests throughout the month of August. I know you have drafts coming up. I want to pick the brains of the best analysts, the best rankers, the best fantasy football strategists. So I'm going to keep rolling out big-time guests throughout the month. Please make sure you circle back again next week because I will be talking to another A-lister. Until then, so long, everyone.